Close to 300 million people around the world suffer from anxiety and depression. The Thelcom podcast has a mission to help address this challenge and revolves around the subject of happiness creation. We share a philosophy, tools, tactics and methods that will support anyone who really wants to find and sustain their own unique version of happiness. Our approach is evidence-based and we share features along the way with expert guests to help you and inform you and also to inspire you. You are listening to the Thelcom Podcast with your host, Mr. David Lilly. There's a lot of emerging science behind the impact of our food and nutrition on mental health and human happiness. And that's the focus of today's Thelcom podcast. Now, to cover this subject, I wanted to bring someone in who specializes in this particular subject and who helps clients with their bodily and mental health, but with a holistic approach. And who better to do so than the delightful and very well-read Kate Boyle, a nutritionist from Australia who operates an aptly named company called Mind Movement Health. This podcast is full of simple but valuable pieces of substantiated guidance and tips from Kate. Of course, I kicked off my interview with Kate by asking her to provide a little of her life and career background. Sure thing. Well, thanks for having me on, David, first off. But I guess my background in nutrition, it was a little bit of a love-hate relationship with food. So it started with me very young. I grew up as a dancer. So I loved my food, but was also really aware as I was growing up and dancing that nutrition was a big part of, you know, performing well, but also as a dancer, you have to look a certain way. So I was always on a very restrictive diet, you know, eliminating foods, trying to eat really healthy. But I think, you know, in my younger and teenage years, not really knowing a hundred percent what healthy was and healthy nowadays is very different to what it was in the nineties. Back then it was, you know, low fat, you know, eat your carbs, but, you know, go low fat all the way. And now we've kind of flipped that on its head. So I started, um, I ended up having a dance injury very early on and ended up going to university to study nutrition instead because I figured if I couldn't dance, then I'd help other dancers and athletes with their nutrition. And from that, I ended up working in food companies as a nutritionist. I dabbled in the food biotechnology side of things as well. Um, And I actually ended up working for a year in Europe as a nutritionist uh, for a family as well. So I've I've travelled the world with nutrition too. And um, I'm from Melbourne, Australia. So now I actually run a health and wellness studio in Australia where I specialise in teaching movement that's going to help heal people, so eliminate pain. But then I also do my nutrition consults. And obviously with everything that's happened this last uh, year or so, we've moved a lot of our practices online as well. It's been an interesting time, Kate, hasn't it? It really has. And I, I listen to you with a smile and with fascination because I'm definitely from the school where I believe that we are what we eat or I believe that we are largely influenced. Our bodily functions and a lot of our mindset can be influenced by what we eat. And as you know, the Falcon podcast really is all about that kind of mindset and the way we can think about our life and plan our life. And Falcon, as you know, is an abbreviation for, for time, health, empathy, love, 
kindness, humility, understanding, and making memories. That's what Falcon means. And hate, the second letter, H, health, is a really, really key part of happiness as far as I can see in all my research and studies. So in your own experience, you talked about being a dancer and how dancers uh, have to look a certain way. And I completely understand that. When you think about that and you lean into nutrition and mental health, how much do you feel good nutrition plays in mental health? What does the science tell us about food and mental health? Well, it plays a huge role and I think it's a really emerging field. So in the last sort of five years or so, nutrition psychiatry has sort of become a big topic. And rather than leaning into, say, medications, we're actually leaning in to look at what foods affect our mental health, either positively or negatively, because there are both. And especially as well, you know, the gut is a really big thing. In the last 10 years, we've found out a lot more information about the gut. We know that the majority of our our serotonin, which is our happy hormone, okay, a neurotransmitter that helps with so many things, our sleep, our metabolism, our digestion, you know, regulating our mood, 90% of that is made in our gut. So if we're not feeding our gut healthy foods, then it's very hard to help regulate our mood. So, you know, that sort of production of serotonin, lower levels of serotonin have been linked to increased levels of anxiety and depression. So there is a really huge link with the food we're eating, but we also know that mental health is not just our brain health. It is our whole body health. So food is a huge part of that, but we also need to look at, you know, our exercise, our sleep, how we're managing our stress. So all these facets come together to affect our mental health. There's increasing research as well, Kate, that the sedentary life that many people now suffer from as a consequence of being addicted to these things, the little square box that we call a smartphone, and the fact that that can also play, it's really interesting. And uh, there is always a danger at using kind of anecdotal feedback but some of the people that I know in my life the ones that are least active tend to be the most challenged with their mental health in my own experience how do you find that when a client comes to you people come to you for help what proportion of people do you think have a real opportunity to move their body more and to be better and more knowledgeable about the impact that food has I think there's a a great big area that you know majority of people can learn more about looking after themselves just nutritionally but also you know movement wise to really improve their health I don't think that there's been as big a push through that I know from my experience working in practice with people about nutrition they know that nutrition might make them look a certain way and help them lose weight but as far as speaking to people about you know what you eat can actually change you know your your stress levels or increase or reduce the levels of anxiety that you have it's not really i think common knowledge and it's something that we can definitely all improve on um, and if that knowledge can get out there then we're definitely going to see you know lower levels of uh, you know stress anxiety depression coming through and we can really influence that just with small habits. So making sure that we do move every day, like you said, making sure we do put the phones down, get rid of that technology out of the bedroom so we can get great sleep. And also making sure we're looking at going back to that nice whole foods diet that's going to help our health and our gut. That brings me nicely onto that next question. And I appreciate that this next question is one that could probably spend the entire podcast and more discussing. And it's about, I call it a food regime or an eating regime as opposed to a diet. But if we were looking at a food regime that provides the body with all of the nutrients it needs 
what types of meals and foods provide what our human body needs? So we really want to go back to a whole foods diet. We want to go back to a diet that's high in fiber, that's got lots of fruits and vegetables and a minimal amount of processed foods. So we want to get rid of the sugars, okay, the snack foods, takeaways, all the stuff that people love generally. Um, go back to eating, you know, great sources of protein. So, you know, nuts and seeds and legumes, um, meat if you do eat eat meat, okay, um, and a wide range of um, fatty and oily fish so we can really get those omega-3s. Um, good fats, so looking at your avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil. So I guess generally a lot of that relates back to sort of either a whole foods diet or the Mediterranean sort of style diet is very popular. Yeah. But also looking when we're having a meal at the balance of nutrients on our plate. So making sure that we've got a balance of protein, good fats and carbohydrates. So we don't need to cut out carbohydrates, which, you know, a lot of people sort of think, oh, it's healthy if we get rid of those. But having a balanced amount of those at each meal is going to keep us functioning really well health-wise, but also mental health-wise. We'll have better concentration levels, you know, we'll think clearer and we'll be quicker with our responses as well. I've got to ask you, Kate, where do you stand on the debate about meat and whether or not we should? I know you've got some nutritionists that are completely against meat and then you've got others. I noticed in your answer you said if you're a meat eater, so clearly you're not saying to people they must become a vegetarian. But where do you stand personally on that? What are your own thoughts on, on meat consumption? So I think meat consumption can definitely be included in a healthy diet. Yeah. Obviously, if we are looking to consume meat, we want to be going back to either organic or, you know, really hormone-free types of meat so that they are grass-fed, looking at those types of meat rather than that sort of factory farming. Um, as we're going to discuss a little bit later on, the blue zones within the world where we have the people living to their, you know, longest sort of, you know, past 100, they've got the highest amount of people, they still include meat in their diet, but in smaller amounts. So it's generally around special occasions and their meat is usually sourced locally from farms around or friends that you know are growing chickens or whatever it may be or themselves so meat can definitely have a part in a diet it is extremely important you know and a great source of protein it's just looking at it like everything making sure we have it in balance making sure we know where it's coming from and that it is really more of a purer source than coming from that factory farming yeah, as you say, Kate, we'll talk a lot more about the Mediterranean diet later, but the interesting point to mention as well, if you are interested in climate change, I'm sure you'll have heard that the experts are saying that the Mediterranean diet is one of the ones that are most supportive of climate change through the consumption of the more of a green diet with some meat in there, as opposed to a very heavy meat diet, which you often see in the American market. But we'll talk a bit more about that later on. I know from, again, research that I've read just how important water can be. So from an expert like you, what role does water consumption play in, in a positive eating regime? Again, it's a really plays a really big role. So generally when we wake up in the morning, we're waking up in a dehydrated state. So overnight, we don't drink water, we're breathing. In case of that respiration, we're losing water from our body. So as soon as we wake up in the morning, we've already got to start to catch up. And the reason being, we know, you know, in severe de dehydrated states, 
where we function, you know, not as well. So our concentration isn't as great. Our memory isn't as good. Some people will sort of experience or report brain fog as well as being sort of a side effect. So by drinking water and the first, you know, best thing you can do in the morning, first thing, have a nice big glass of water. You can put a bit of a pinch of salt in it as well, just to balance up your electrolytes and help with that absorption. But drinking that first thing can just really help with your concentration. And then also just satiety wise, we know that studies show that if you are trying to lose weight, if you can have, you know, lots of water as well, it's going to reduce those, the hunger, okay, it's going to keep you fuller for longer and can actually help with losing weight also. I want to bring the subject now around to anxiety and depression because the research from the World Health Organization tells us that around about 270 million people in the world suffering from anxiety and depression. And that was before the COVID-19 pandemic, which is an extraordinary high number of people. And again, I've dipped into research on this subject and I don't want to sort of preload you with answers, but there are some suggestions that there are foods out there that we can eat or ones that we can avoid to help with anxiety and depression. So in your experience, are there any foods that are proven to help with symptoms such as anxiety and depression? Yeah, there definitely are. And there's, again, there's a lot more studies and research coming through. There's still more to be done, but one of the ones that has had a lot of research done already is omega-3. So we know omega-3 is great for our brain health, okay, great for our gut health, but it has links to reducing anxiety and depression. So we can get our omega-3s from our salmon, our fatty fish, so, you know, mackerel, sardines, sardines. They're our best sources of our omega-3s and we do absorb more of those omega-3s from those sort of fish and shellfish sources in comparison to our plant sources. So you still get omega-3s from things like chia seeds and flax seeds and hemp seeds, but you will absorb more from the fatty fish. So definitely if you include that in your diet, there has been great research to show that that can help. But we can also look at a diet that's high in zinc and magnesium. Vitamin D has also been linked back to reducing anxiety and depression. So we can get the majority of our daily vitamin D needs from just 10 to 15 minutes of sunlight. So that might be being in Australia, that's probably <laughs> easier can. for you me can. to get. Yeah. You can. <laughs> we can yeah, that's maybe it. four months of the year if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah. So again, you know, diet first, but that's where supplementation does come into the picture. So we always try to get these nutrients from food, but if we can't, you know, you're living in that colder climate, you're not getting as much sun, you can speak to your doctor and health professional about supplementation as well. Uh, there's also been studies to show that vitamin B and vitamin B12 in particular can also help reduce the effects of depression, anxiety too. So all of these nutrients are coming from our food, you know, and then again, on top of that, We've got, um, you know, proven studies from, you know, exercise, again, helping to reduce the risk and reduce the severity of it as well. So, you know, food first and then looking at all those other avenues too. Yeah. So a few years ago, Kate, I interviewed a Professor Hognovic and he's the, probably the world's leading expert on the omega-3s and you've just supported everything he's just said. And one of the things that he did said is, was that for some people, eating the quantity of, let's say, fish that you would need to eat might be challenging. And so supplements are acceptable. Everything else you've just mentioned, I don't know if you're familiar with an independent website called Examine. It doesn't sell anything other than information. Are you familiar with it? Yes. Yeah. So I'm a subscriber. So I read all about the supplements where there there is science to suggest that it actually works. And everything you've just mentioned there, you just literally listed everything that they confirm 
there are studies to support the fact they work. So I'll make sure that in the show notes that I provide links to some of the things that you've said so people can get that, go away and get that deeper evidence to support that if, if they want to do that. And then spinning the same question that I asked you just now in reverse, which is there are foods that are proven to help with symptoms such as anxiety and depression, and there are supplements we can take. There are certain foods that, in my experience, don't necessarily always help with anxiety and depression. What's your experience of that? Yeah, so the same, exactly what you said. We've got foods that negatively affect, okay, and can contribute to developing anxiety and depression. So a few of those are our sugars, so especially processed sugars, okay, processed foods that they're generally found in. Um, Artificial sweeteners are a big one as well. So steering clear of those when you can, you sort of think, oh, I'm not having the sugar, so it will be better. But again, studies have shown that they can have negative effects. So cutting out as much sugar as you can and artificial sweeteners sweeteners. Then we're looking at things like alcohol and caffeine. So, you know, I know they're a vice of many of us, okay, and they can be enjoyed in moderation, but we also need to be aware of everybody has different tolerance levels of caffeine and alcohol, okay, and at what time of the day are you having them? Because they can interrupt your sleep, as we've, you know, just sort of said, which has that flow on effect. But also, you know, you might find that you don't um, tolerate caffeine very well and your body doesn't process it very well. So your level of intake of caffeine could be very different to the next person that can have a a cup, you know, just before they go to bed. Mm. But it does have an effect. We also know that diets that are low in fiber, okay, they affect our blood sugar levels. So we don't keep our blood sugar levels as stable when we've got a diet low in fiber. So we do really want to boost our fiber intake when we can. And the last one I guess to note also is nitrates. So nitrates are often found in processed meat and they've had uh, links within studies too to show that they can have uh, effects on our mental health and uh, increase the the chances of depression and anxiety as well. The big one that you've talked about there that I've heard the most about is caffeine and there are certain people that think they've had let's say a panic attack and and they learn that they've had a very strong coffee and they almost figure something really weird's going on like they're having a stroke because all of a sudden they feel micro sensitive to everything and it's actually it turns out that they've had a bad reaction to a very strong coffee. Now that actually happened to me. I'd had a day of meetings back in the day when we could actually meet in coffee shops. (laughs) I remember that. I think I'd had a sort of a day in a coffee shop and I'd probably had four or five strong coffees. And all of a sudden, I started to feel really lightheaded, but to the point where it was really quite scary. And I didn't, hadn't got a clue what it was. And then I went away and researched it and read lots of people having the same thing. And so lots of the anxiety support groups talk about avoiding strong coffee for that reason. Yes. For sure. And even a lot of the um, energy drinks, you know, obviously we know that energy drinks are full of sugar as well, but, you know, they are generally high in caffeine and they also usually have guana and ginseng, which in themselves are are natural herbs and can be great for energy. But when you combine those with the caffeine, it can again sort of cause heart palpitations, you know, Mm. in people and and they sort of wonder what's going on. You know, I haven't, haven't had anything happen essentially, but it can just come back from the dose and that combination of those together. You mentioned something there called guarana, and guarana is something that can create a similar effect to to caffeine, isn't it, in terms of a kind of a wake-up and a stimulant for the body. And it's probably research suggests slightly kinder than caffeine in terms of not likely to cause your heart palpitations. Exactly. It's more the fact that it's being combined with the caffeine. So it's that effect that 
does cause it rather than those herbs themselves. So if you're taking guano or ginseng, you know, within just a supplement form, you'll find it usually just helps with concentration and boost mood. But when it's combined with the caffeine, that's when it can have that sort of effect. Yeah. Now I have to say, Kate, you probably see by looking at me, I'm a kind of a 53-year-old man. So I've seen every single type of diet imaginable emerge over the years. And for the poor old consumer, it can be incredibly confusing. I've seen the multi-level marketing companies prop up with their supposed cleansing diets, let's call them, and the some of the mainstream brands, which I, I won't name any of them. But for the consumer, it's like, okay, we're someone's saying to me that I need to look at the ketogenic diet over here. And then there's someone saying I need to look at the Mediterranean diet over here. And and then there's this low carb one over here. And then there's this LA diet over here. I mean, it literally can be incredibly confusing for the consumer, almost to the point where one diet is almost contradicting the other. So with so much of that going on out there and so many, let's call them weight loss systems, what are your own recommendations for sensible and effective weight loss for people that need to do that? Well, like you said, I think it's confusing for everybody. You know, when you are bombarded with such advertising and stuff too, you know, and everyone's got their own testimonial that this works for me and that works for me. Generally, when I'm working with a client, we go, we strip their diet right back and we go back to our whole foods. So we try to eliminate processed foods where possible. So anything with food labels on it, anything with ingredients that you don't know. So the numbers, okay, are a big one. Um, You know, if you can eliminate them, that's what we're trying to get rid of first. Um, Lots of fruits and vegetables, okay, nuts and seeds, whole grains if you can tolerate them. So if you know that you have a gluten intolerance, okay, or you're celiac, obviously, you know, whole grains might not be great for you. But looking at the foods that your body can tolerate, okay, legumes and beans and those sorts of things, and having meat just, you know, occasionally added in so that you've got your plate is majority of vegetables, the meat is more the side, okay, or your oily fish, but really having a good balance of everything, but having a plant-rich diet. So rather than sort of saying plant-based, we want to start with a plant-rich. So we want the majority of our plate to always be our vegetables and then our meats and our whole grains are the sides on the plate. And generally when we sort of look at that and strip it back to that first, we can then add in the occasional treat. You know, not all food is bad. It's just going back to that sort of 80-20 rule. So 80% of the time we're eating that really healthy whole foods diet and 20% of the time we're having, you know, that occasional sweet treat or whatever it may be just to just to feel that life, you know, is fun, okay? It doesn't have to be strict. Um, our bodies are really great at processing foods, okay, but... But if we give it too much of the wrong type of foods, then that's when we run into problems with our health. I guess so. one of the messages coming out of that for sweet lovers, and kind of I suffer from that a little bit, is if you like chocolate, then as opposed to eating a full bar, maybe have a few pieces and eat them very slowly. <laughs> that's it. You know, savour your food. You know, the whole movement of intuitive eating that's kind of coming through is to listen to your body, is to stop, stop and really savour your food. So, you know, don't eat lunch on the run or eat that chocolate bar while you're trying to type on your computer. Actually stop and enjoy it. If you're going to have it, then take that time to enjoy it. And, you know, chocolate's not always a bad thing. If you can, you know, choose your dark chocolate okay Mm. you're going to be getting your polyphenols okay a good dose of magnesium so as i said those foods that you you know things like chocolate that people perceive as bad foods if we're eating the right type of it we can still get good 
nutrients from it. Yeah, and my tip is if you eat it very, very slowly, it feels uh, just as good. So I guess in summarizing that, Kate, essentially what you're endorsing is that there is no one diet or eating regime that falls under a name. It's about having and developing a knowledge of the foods that you should eat that should play a consistent part in your eating patterns as opposed to this name of diet or that name of diet. Exactly. And I think, you know, when we sort of say, oh, we're following the ketogenic diet and we know that we can't have any carbohydrates, you know, that can be very restrictive when you're going out for lunch with friends and stuff. So uh, diets are very individual. Obviously, we process foods in different ways. We have different food intolerances. So it's really working out what types of foods work for you. But as a basis of that, always coming back to those whole foods, okay, minimally, minimally processed diets where possible. What I'm hearing loud and clear, and you've said it a few times, Kate, and I'd love the listener to digest this too, pardon the pun, digest it, but it is to really avoid processed foods as much as you can, isn't it? You use the term whole foods. Anything that's processed, try to eliminate it completely if you can. Yes. And we know, you know, the research has shown us that if we can go back to traditional diets, so more of the diets that the Mediterranean, okay, Japanese, traditional Japanese diets, those types of diets are associated with a lot less illnesses and diseases and mental health issues as well. So again, it's stripping it right back and going back to those whole foods. My next question, which is my penultimate question, Kate, is driven by, we had a TV series over here in the UK and it was basically looking at the, what they labeled the world's healthiest diet. And as part of the research, they went to about a dozen different countries and they looked at all the research that came out of each country in terms of things like mortality rates, disease rates, and so on and so forth. And in the end, they listed the countries that had got the highest ranking and the lowest ranking. I think the, U- the UK, in our case, was, uh, I think we were outside the top 10, but we weren't as bad as some of the countries who were eating mainly processed food. But in that, something known as the blue zones were constantly referenced. And if people go away from this podcast, I'm sure they'll start to reference the blue zones if they haven't heard them already. But in your experience and, and the research that you've done, and you mentioned you've traveled Europe, what do the different eating habits in different countries tell us about the impact of food on health? And let's solve that mystery. What are the blue zones? So the blue zones are seven areas so far where they have the highest amount of centenarians. So people that live over the age of a hundred. So, you know, there's Sardinia in, in Italy, there's, I won't pronounce it correctly, but there's Akinwana in Japan, there's Akana in Greece. So they are sort of located all over the world. Okay. But the studies that they've done there has sort of shown, you know, that there's been some commonalities that have come out of those areas. One of them is that they do stick to that whole foods diet. So a lot of those people are growing their own food still. So they're either growing from home or they're getting their food locally. So again, basis of their diets tends to be a lot of fruits and vegetables, beans, nuts, and seeds, and then fermented foods, especially in places like Japan. Now, on top of that, they generally have small amounts of meat around special occasions generally, but then places like Japan have high intakes of fish and the same with Greece and Sardinia. So fish tends to be, you know, a little bit more consumed than the meat, but again, it's coming back to that balance. We also know within those areas too that community and purpose are two big things that play a big role in health as well. So not just the food, but they all have a sense of community 
So again, they're shopping locally. They're either growing food and taking it to the market. They're getting together with loved ones. They're celebrating around local food. And they also have a sense of purpose. So, you know, these people that are over 100 are still going out to tend to their gardens. They're still, some of them are going off to work. So they have a really strong purpose. And it's these together that are helping to obviously prolong their longevity, but also improve and maintain their mental health right through to those older ages. Yeah, so what we're talking about now, Kate, touches on the edges of happiness. It's the theme of Falcom and part of what I wanted to uncover from this interview with you was how food can play a part in mental health and, and happiness. And again, you mentioned something really interesting. And are you familiar with the Harvard Life Study that's been going on for like nearly 90 years, I believe now? I am. Yeah, again, it shows how well-read you are because you've touched on something that that research has revealed, which is cross-generations, as you know, that one of the factors, the biggest factors and contributors towards happiness is relationship and community. So not only do people in the blue zones live longer because of their diet, because their culture and their way of life is to develop and be close to people and build relationships. So that in itself is fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's amazing. And again, as you're sort of saying, there is more research sort of coming through that, that, you know, we can have a really healthy diet, but I think COVID's been one of these sort of big things that have shown us that we really need that connection with other people to especially help our mental health, but just to help us with our general health. You know, we've seen from the fallout of COVID, you know, and a lot of people have have realised how just going to the office and having that connection with people face-to-face it's different to being online all the time. So connection and community is a huge thing. And then also within that, finding your purpose. So having a reason, you know, to get up every morning. And again, COVID has sort of shown us that too, that, you know, having that reason to get up and to move around affects our mental health hugely. And then that has that flow on effect for our general health as well. Yeah, that's completely, totally endorse that. My, I always say to people, spending some time understanding your values and figuring out what your life philosophy is, you know, your why, as some people call it. Once you figure out what your why is, then you concentrate spending more time on doing what makes you happy. And it's a very simple piece of advice, but it's a, it's a magical piece of advice. The one thing I want to ask you before I come on to the last question, which is more about you and your services, We've touched on supplements. We are very unlucky here in the UK. Unlike you in Australia, you get massive lots of sunshine. And in this country, we're lucky, as I mentioned, Kate, if we get four months worth of really nice weather. And our NHS, the National Health Service over here, have been putting out reports about vitamin D and encouraging people to take it and actually making it available for some of our older generations. Where do you sit on that? So if anyone listening to this, and we do have a an international listenership, Anyone listening to this that's in a country where they don't get as much natural sunshine, are you an endorser of taking supplements like vitamin D? Yes, for sure. And as I said before, it's a very individual approach. So when I'm working with people, we always make sure we get the blood work done so that we can check what their vitamin D levels are. We also know that vitamin D is essential for our bone health. So as we age, okay, our bones tend to get more brittle. You know, a lot of people will fall and get a fracture. So vitamin D supplementation, especially in our older years for our bone health is extremely important. But again, you know, vitamin D is back to link back to reducing anxiety, depression, and our mental health. So if we're not getting that through sunlight, 
supplementation is a great idea. We can still get vitamin D through our food, so from our animal sources, so generally our eggs, our dairy, our lead sources of meat, okay, so getting it from that is great. But generally, you know, the stats are about 50% of people are deficient in vitamin D. So it's one of a, quite a common supplementation that people generally might need to look at. You touched on bloods there, which links to my last question for you, Kate, and is part of the service that you offer that people can have their bloods taken and and analysed, let's call it, and within that you'll be able to see their... I know, for example, there is a test you can do to to look at your omega levels. So is there a blood test that tells you about things like vitamin D, magnesium, zinc, etc.? Yes. So, you know, you, I work with people, they can come with me and we can do referrals and, and do that. But also just generally, you know, I'll often, if people feel comfortable, they can go to their GP and say, you know, I'd like my blood work done. I'd like to check out what my vitamin D is, my iron, obviously that's a really big one. We can look at obviously thyroid hormones as well. You know, that can have a huge effect on, um, you know, different symptoms that are coming out in our body, things like hair loss and brittle nails and, and those sorts of things. So yes, it's sort of, you know, I always say to people, that's where we start. So we need to do the investigative work first. There's no point, you know, saying, oh, you should take this supplement if we don't know that you don't actually need it. So we make sure we do all that investigative work first. And then we look at tailoring, you know, food intake and diet, but also lifestyle practices. So making sure that, you know, I can design a program for somebody to be eating really healthy, but if their stress levels are still through the roof, then they're probably not going to see a lot of the shifts and changes they want to see in their health if we're not addressing all areas excellent now final question then for you kate because obviously you're in australia um the first question for you i guess about your services is are you able to service clients thanks to the services like zoom and microsoft teams and google meet do you have an appetite to actually work with international clients people who'd be happy to be coached and supported by you or are you purely about face-to-face stuff in, in australia No. So I think that's one of the good things that's come out with COVID is we've kind of realized that we can do so much more over Zoom. And nutrition is one of those, you know, areas that, you know, I'm not looking to to have to touch your body in any certain way. So yes, so we've been doing a lot more over Zoom through consultations that way. Um, And then I also have a uh, an online membership. So within that membership, it's all about nutrition. There's health masterclasses. So we're really strongly based about educating people. So a few of those masterclasses we've had has been on reading a food label, okay, making sure we have that information. How are we losing weight, but not just looking at food, looking at hormone levels, stress levels, and those sorts of things. So um, we definitely do online consultations, but then we have our membership as well. So with the membership, is that a combination of getting some access to you, but also being able to access information, video clips, et cetera, documents to read that you've made available online, Kate? Exactly. So our masterclasses are run live, but if you can't make it live, they're all loaded up into the membership so you have access to them. Each month month I do a live question and answer session too so people can send in their nutrition or movement questions and we address them personally. Um, and then there's also access to healthy recipes and then, you know, Pilates exercises and workouts and things that people can do at home. And even if they're injured or in pain as well. So, you know, there's workouts for lower back pain okay or you know if you've got hip and instability those sorts of things too so it's trying to look at health holistically and and really build up our health in all different areas 
So anybody that's listening to this and they think, okay, uh, I like the idea of working with Kate. What she said has made a lot of sense. And I'd like to congratulate you, Kate, because I love the way you articulate yourself and, and take a what can be a very complex subject and make it easy to understand. Someone listening to this and thinking, I want to work with Kate. How do they reach out to you website-wise? We'll obviously put all the links in the show notes, but is there a preferred way that you would like people to to contact you as a first starting point? Sure. So they can check out our website. So that's uh, www.mindmovementhealth.com.au. That's the best place to sort of check it out, have a look around and see what we offer. And there's a contact page there. So people can definitely reach out that way. Um, If they just want to sort of follow along on socials and, you know, grab some tips and tricks with for health and movement, um, you can find me on Instagram at Mind Movement Health and on Facebook at Mind Movement Health as well. Kate, I'd like to say a huge thank you to you. And I'm sure as some of this emerging research starts to come out about food and and mental health, perhaps in three, four, five months' time, we can perhaps chat again, but just zoom in on on more of a specific subject and and share your experience with our listeners. Thank you for sharing uh, 45 minutes with us today. I really appreciate it. No worries. Thank you for having me on the show, David. It's been great. My sincere thanks to Kate Boyle of My Movement Health. I've added a link to Kate's website in the show notes if you want to contact her. I'm sure she'll be delighted to hear from you. The impact of food and nutrition on our mental health is clearly a huge one and we could have gone into much deeper layers of detail, but I'm sure you'll take some great value from the suggestions that Kate made within that podcast i'm also sure that it's a subject we'll revisit in much more granular detail in future editions of the podcast you've been listening to the falcon podcast i'm your host david Lilly. if you have enjoyed this edition why not uh, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done so already and give us a positive review but more to the point if you think there is someone out there that would benefit from listening to this podcast all about mental health food and nutrition then please share that with them until next time thank you for listening